0: You gotta
1: have an eye. Third Eye Education. Third Eye. Welcome to Third Eye. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with Gori and Amit Sood. Gori, a senior at Mayo High School in Rochester, Minnesota, is the co-creator and lead trainer of the Happy Genius Program, a social-emotional learning tool for young learners. She also serves as a member of the Education Committee for the Rochester Community Initiative and Rochester Youth Commission. She's the team representative for Food Allergies of Rochester, Minnesota deep thinker, kind soul, and a killer writer. Dr. Amit Sood is the creator of the Resilient Option Program. He's one of the world's leading experts on resilience and well-being, and executive director of the Global Center for Resiliency and Well-Being. He's also the author of the books, The Mayo Clinic Guide to Stress-Free Living, The Mayo Clinic Handbook for Happiness, Mindfulness Redesigned, Smart with Dr. Sud, and The Resilience Journal, as well as build your immune resilience. If I understood everything correctly, it sounded like you worked with uh, your daughter and sister, Mm -hmm. an elementary school student, to develop your curriculum, and that is far more rare than it should be. We wanted to learn a little more about that, having that audience be involved in the process of learning. How did that process evolve for you? And what advice would you give to educators that want to do the same?
2: Sure. You know, when you're developing something, there's three questions you ask. One, what's the problem that I'm trying to solve? And majority of teachers, parents, principals agree that uh, social and emotional learning is a very important part of school training, training good citizens, responsible citizens, not just good academicians and students good at math. The problem we saw was how do we how do we create something that when uh, my elementary uh, school daughter when she comes back and she says oh not one more lecture you mm-hmm. know and something that is uplifting inspiring something that is not just limited to her classroom but really applies in her entire life and how do we do we engage parents how do we put science behind it so that was the first thing uh, first question to ask then the second question to say so what's the problem then what's the solution that's the second question to ask so the solution is clearly if I either sit on an ivory tower or just think inside my box, then I'll create something that will help two people. But uh, as you know, humans have beautiful variety. There is a developmental stage. Uh, I cannot go back and think think about how an eight-year-old thinks or a 16-year-old thinks. So engaging students, this is a very participatory process in designing the program, tweaking the program, testing the program is so critical. They are our partners, not our clients really in this process. And, uh, and then third is, how do we implement it? How do we scale it? So for that, we have to do research. We have to do pilots. We have to get feedbacks. And we have to be very humble through this process and be told we are wrong and all of that. So it has been an absolutely fun journey. But what we see is we have really created the first story of a 20-story building. And this building will never be completed. We will always keep trying to improve it.
3: Yeah, I can add to that. And I can say that um, really being in high school myself showed me that there are so many resources for mental health education in high school. And we have the teens offering peer support program. So at all times, there are a few groups of teenagers in a room as long as like accompanied by a staff member. And that's one resource. There's also a resiliency specialist at school. There is obviously counselors that are um, more available than elementary school counselors would be. So that was one thing that I realized high schoolers have a lot of this in front of them already. Middle school, I wasn't there too long ago, but I do remember being so judgmental of everything. It was just this time frame where you're like, everything is dumb, like everything is dumb, right? So I think elementary school was the perfect place to hit, especially with someone in our house who was very ready to critique us and say, this is boring, or this is too hard or whatever. And we took it very plainly because, you know, she she had space to do that. So that was really helpful. But also to speak to what my dad said at this moldable stage, right? And that's the elementary school age is really the most moldable stage, especially early elementary school. They say um, from the prenatal stage to age eight is where things are happening like at a super fast rate. So so hitting it there was really one thing that we found, especially through research.
1: I'm particularly curious because you said that your sister was very willing to critique. Do you have any examples, anything that stood out to you as a, a moment of clarity that you might not have thought about without her input?
3: I think that she, there were some, there were some activities that she was like, this is so obvious to me, you know, little things like, um, we have a video called, um, the invasion in which there are bugs that enter the room and you have to track where they go. And I think this was advice from me and her, but the video replayed many times, like that one little image of the bugs coming in would show up all the time. And it was like, okay, we get it. Like, okay, we're seeing this. We know it. We understand it. So like little things like that where it was like, okay, we need to take a couple of those out or um, dad, this is so easy. I just understand this. Like my friends would get bored. Like, I think it really, the boredom factor was something that she was really helpful in, in um, telling us. And I want to say that this was not her being negative at all. This was us saying, please tear it apart for us (laughs) to make things
2: better. Well, I'll say she's wonderful at uh, giving negative feedback. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, from being bored to uh, me- sometimes we use cursives and she said, I don't, I can't read what you're writing or uh, using big words like trampled. And she said, what is trampled? I mean, if I don't get it and I really read a lot of books, then most kids grade will struggle. So finding the right word sometimes things like timing uh, the music all oh, this music is uh you know right from disgusting to cheesy to no yeah, this is great <laughs> so she gave us the idea that your music should be such every time you play it i want to dance that should be the music so so every element sort of has to fit in the place uh, for something to come out well and she really a
3: fine balance yeah a fine balance between want to dance and not getting distracted. It's like the perfect place that she she had us hit.
4: But yeah. I love that. I loved Gory, you said, you know, you were asking for that criticism. You were you were begging for that feedback. And I, you know, personally love that in the classroom too. So do you have any examples of times maybe in your own in your own classroom experiences where teachers have invited that feedback in a way that you and your father invited that feedback from your younger
3: sister? Oh, um I mean, I can remember from your classroom. That's we not did fair. So not, <laughs> she's setting you
1: up. did not fall for I it. That wasn't on
3: purpose. Okay. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I just mean, like, I remember, like, I think that was kind of a turning point because before that we didn't do any reflections. I just remember in my freshman year, it was just learning and it was like, okay, we learn and then we take tests or we do projects, but there was never that like, okay, how did it go for you? What did you like about it? Type of a thing, and I've applied that to my life. I mean, in the last month or so, I've started a little journal that I write like ten minutes in every morning. And so, personally, I do that. I think in high school, it's been a while since I've been in the classroom, so I'm trying to think of of something. Um, but there's a lot more openness to what the student wants to do, especially when you're able to take classes that aren't necessarily required and that are more what you want to do. It's a lot of, okay, are we feeling this today? No? Okay, let's not do it. So I really like that. I think it makes me feel like a college student, so.
2: I'll I'll share a a research anecdote. So we did two research studies at Mayo, Uh, thou shalt versus you are invited and you get to drive the program. The first study was thou shalt participate in this program to help the stress level. And actually the study increased people's stress level, though even we were were providing stress management approach, but it didn't work at all, it fell flat. They got angry that we were forcing them to participate. Very similar program was offered as an invitation a few years later, and we have published both the studies. In the second study, it showed massive improvement in stress, resilience, mindfulness. So giving them control, giving students control uh, is a, a, everybody likes control. Everybody loves control. I think that's the key to succeed in in any program, pretty much. Uh, And I think that's where you were going, Heather, with that question.
4: Yeah, I actually don't know where I was going with that question, but I'm glad you took it somewhere. But it also reminds me, (laughs) it also reminds me of the fact that Recently, uh, Mike and, and Nick and I and, and one of our board members here in Dover Yoda, we um, put together a presentation for uh, MSBA, the Minnesota School Board Association, um, because we did some activities with mental health here in Dover Yoda with our staff last year, and one of the statistics that we put together in that presentation that was surprising to me while we were putting 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 all the data on the page was that almost every one of our staff members came and participated in more than one of the 100% optional sessions. Um, Mm. And at no point did we have any of those wellness, any of those mental health, any of those burnout prevention strategy sessions, ideas. Um, At no point did we require them. But yet almost every staff member attended more than one. That's
3: great.
2: That's wonderful. I think you you it's it's almost like you offer a, a bunch of nutrients in the soil to the seed, and the seed picks what it is. What is the right nutrient for itself? Uh, you can't force it. Yeah. Apple seed will pick what is right for the apple seed, and peach and pear will pick what is right for them.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's that power of of choice and and knowing yourself.
0: In order for that to work effectively, uh, Nick and Heather both have really established a certain level of trust too, that mm. there's an oh. opportunity and there's a chance I'm going to gain something from this. And, uh, and they, they, the staff has been rewarded, I think, sufficiently enough that this is worth my time. you know And, and we are recognizing how, how important that stress factor is for teachers right now, trying to teach uh, uh, synchronously online and with kids in front of them And how much how much of a burden that is that isn't fully appreciated by people outside of the school realm necessarily. So uh, we, you know, we've really dialed in on that, but I think the more that we provide supports for teachers on that level, the better they can support students with the social emotional when they're when they get more centered, you know.
2: You are so right. When we started off developing a curriculum uh, for the Mayo Medical students and Mayo School of Health Sciences and faculty, uh, uh, they were planning a bunch of surveys initially. And I think our uh, thought was the first three years is just building trust. That's all. If they trust us that we mean well and we're gonna offer something that will help them and will be a good use of their time, they will come. And, and that's trust is so important. That's such an important point you have touched, Mike.
1: If it took three years and teachers get one year with students, do you have a, uh, a recommendation on, I mean, speeding up trust seems like the wrong thing to aim for, but, you know, is there, is there a way to make that process uh, more effective within the environment that we are uh, placed? Yes.
2: Yes, I think uh, humor uh, works very well. Uh, A lot of research shows that hearts that laugh together, beat together. So if we can laugh together, the message we are saying is I'm willing to play with you. It's evolutionarily, you know, ingrained within us. People we can laugh with, we start trusting them. Humor and laughter is all about social connection. That's number one. Number two is stories. Lots of stories, um, if you share. Number three is personal vulnerability. When you say that, you know, this happens to me. this is what I do, uh, and and then people can uh, people trust you very quickly. I don't know, Gory, from your perspective as a student, what makes you trust a teacher? You know, someone walks into the room, you trust them right away, and someone takes three years to uh, uh, earn your trust. So w- what makes you trust someone right away?
3: Um, one thing which is hard to control, obviously, is having friends who had that teacher before, and like hearing Mm. about them before. Um, Like my math teacher this past year has been an icon at Mayo forever. And everyone loves him and we do too. And I think what's funny is we played trivia during the last week of school because our AP tests were over. And um, we found out that one of his favorite musicians is Taylor Swift. And that was so not something that we would have expected but a lot of us relate, myself included. So it was it was exciting to see that. Um, I think a teacher that to an extent portrays their own views and how they feel, uh, keeps things real with the classroom. And it's not this like facade of like, oh yeah, I'm not allowed to say how I feel about anything, um, which sometimes is the case uh for for big topics, but for, for things that you can provide your opinion on. I think students really connect that. Even if they don't agree completely, they feel like you are um, opening up to them, even though they should, I guess, be opening up to you. But still, it it works both ways. That's what I've noticed.
4: You guys just covered five things together, right? Like Amit, you were talking about laughter, stories, and personal vulnerability. And and Guri, you added reputation that's spread by word of mouth and, and also authentic, right? Being authentic. Thank you. That was really well phrased and inspiring.
1: I think, you know, as educators, we're always trying to learn from the situations we find ourselves in. And you, uh, as a family, have gone through a really unique uh, experience of, of creating this curriculum. What have you pulled from that that you've applied to the rest of your life?
3: I think we teach things that sound really simple, right? So star breathing, is one thing we teach, which is five deep breaths, building a star basically for, for um, lack of going into depth. But we also teach things like controlling anger. We talk about this in three steps and a couple scenarios, handling disappointments, um, looking at the other person's perspective. And it's like, when I'm teaching it, I'm like, okay, yeah, this makes sense. This is cool. Um, and then I like step back and I say, okay, I just thought taught nine-year-olds these three steps and I guess I'm using them every day too. And I don't even realize it. Like I do it in my head. So I think teaching it so many times ingrained it into my own head. And I'm sure my dad would say the same. The star breathing is something that I actually use every day, every morning when I wake up. And it's so helpful. And I think being almost 17 makes it hard to sit through like a meditation. I don't think anybody my age is like extremely excited about like meditation of any kind that's long, but something that's short like this um, is really, really good for me. So that's a couple things I've applied.
2: Yeah. So, you know, if you are, uh, if you're a chef and run a restaurant, you don't want to eat boiled rice uh, in each meal at home. You, You want to eat some of your, your preparations. So that's what we, we have, you know, try to do Uh, and I think one of the best ways to learn something is to start teaching it and um, because then you know that these little kids look up to you so a simple thing like assume positive intent you know so when Gauri would uh, when she was like eight uh, I would say and she was Uh, having a meltdown uh, um, while we were getting we were sure to get a tardy ticket at school but she was like fighting with me that she wanted the purple clip and hair clip and I was like I've got pink for you and even blue and blue was your favorite color (laughs) but (laughs) I'm like how do I how does it then I asked reason with her that do you remember what hair clip you wore last Thursday and she said no then then how does it matter what hair clip you wear because you'll forget it? No, you don't get it. And that's when I had my, I had, I paused and I said, okay, the, the, the acronym is API assume positive intent. She's not trying to make me mad or get late. And by the way, at that time, her favorite color was pink and she was just fine with getting Tardy colors because they were all pink uh, Tardy Tardy tickets. Sorry. So anyway, so, then I thought her brain has only matured to a point where she can see the, the, the reward that comes from the purple hair clip versus. So that allowed me to reframe and assume that she is actually right in her, within her own perspective. So that then I've sort of we have extrapolated to every other aspect of every connections where basically API assume positive intent. Um, and, and that has helped uh, us a lot. Um, the, you know, handling anger, handling disappointments, the steps that we uh, uh, share with others, um, you know, understanding the other person's perspective, understanding that, she likes to have different variety of cuisines and you know I'm happy to eat oatmeal in each breakfast but that's not true for uh, a 15 or a 16 year old right so uh, so all of these ideas have helped us uh, help me self-regulate myself understand the person and have compassion uh, relatively you know effortless compassion because compassion otherwise takes a lot of effort you have to get beyond your own preferences to get to it, but it has, it has been easier to access it.
1: Can I uh, draw attention for our listeners too? Uh, uh, Amit, you, you talked about uh, the importance of stories to build relationships and you're using stories right now, uh, mm-hmm. but you're also fabulous at using analogies to teach. So not only are stories great for building relationships, but they're really a great vehicle for the content that you're trying to teach. So uh, I know that's not the topic we're talking about, but you're modeling it exceptionally. And I wanted to draw attention to that.
2: <laughs> Thank you. I read at some point that the universe is not made of atoms, it is made of stories. And uh, many times when I see my physician colleagues or educators you know, who may have stress uh, or therapists, uh, so my invitation to them is, Don't think about therapy, don't think about education, just think about this. You're going to work to hear stories and you wanna move those stories so that the next chapter of the story is a little better than it would have been otherwise. That's all, it's all about stories. So create better stories. Uh, And and I think if we look at work with that lens, then it takes a little bit of uh, weight out of it.
3: That's what happiness does actually. Everything we teach, every one of those hard concepts, like anger and disappointments, like I said, or or, um, or using kind words or anything like that, it's, it's coupled with a story. And then kids are asked, and that's their real life application. Because obviously, you know, I mean, hopefully they're not just going to suddenly have a disappointment that they have to deal with in the classroom to apply it right there. But if you give them a story that makes sense to them or something that makes them laugh, then they immediately use those skills right away. And that's what even the kids who you know, occasionally think, oh, I don't want to do this. This is, you know, I have to remember this, whatever. Once they get that story, then they're excited about it and they just want to, you know, contribute their two cents. So stories.
4: This is a podcast, so our listeners uh, didn't see this, but uh, while Amit was, was sharing the story about the purple hair clip, uh, Gori was, you know, looking at the wall behind her and rolling her eyes, right? Because he's telling this story about her as a, as a kid. And it reminds me actually recently, my mom is a, when she retired, she became a photographer and I recently uh, needed some pictures taken for something. So she came over to the house, she's taking pictures. And afterwards we were supposed to go out to dinner with my, with my husband, Uh, to celebrate his birthday and meet my father. And my mom's taking my pictures, we're going back and forth, right? And at one point we pause and we say to my husband, you know, hey, where do you want to go for dinner? And, and he says, I don't know if we are going to dinner. I think we need to reschedule because you two cannot get along. Right. Because we're going back and forth and having. But it just kind of reminds me a little bit is that, you know, you are uh, a father and a daughter working together and working with another daughter as kind of a resource. And and this opportunity of, of creating curriculum and doing a lot of things that Gori does, like sitting on committees, creating presentations, crafting learning, um, uh, recording things so they sound like an audiobook that I could buy on Audible. I mean, it's amazing. Um, you're doing this at, at 18. So what what is it, Gori, that your dad and other adults have done in the community that have made you comfortable participating at this level so that other adults and agencies can can maybe replicate some of that.
3: That's huge. I think everything I'm doing right now, at least some of the bigger things, like if you've heard of Rochester Community Initiative, um, the Olmstead County Youth Commission, um, through school, I'm in student school board. The The driving factor with these is that they're so youth led. And I know that's not possible in everything, but just for these, um for example rci is led completely by youth there's not a single adult we have one 19 year old who serves as our like adult um otherwise we're we're completely youth led and i think it's a group of students who want to be there and who have applied to be there and who have you know crafted a response to a bunch of interview questions um and i think all these students are there by choice. They're there because they want to be. And that is huge. So one thing is not pushing kids who don't want to be somewhere to be there uh, as much as possible, just because I've found that it's just so much better to be somewhere I want to be. I mean, I can tell you without naming names, uh, I sat on a committee a couple years ago and I came home and I was like, I'm never going back to this again. And it was just so boring to me. And I, I don't know, I think, I think about it now. And the reason was that I was never once asked anything. I was forced to say what I wanted to say, if I wanted to say it, but nobody asked me anything. And this was my first time being there too. So it was very intimidating to like, want to say something. Um, so what I get from that is actively involving the youth. And actively and and acting as if they are adults. Uh, There's a committee in town called the Food Allergies Rochester, Minnesota group, which I've recently gotten um, involved with, and I didn't realize that it's a group of adults. And I, I serve as the teen representative because I have food allergies myself. So I was really interested to be a part of this, but it's a group of moms. And I think the one thing different with them and with the committee I sat on years ago is that they treat me like an adult and they actively involve me in everything. And they listen to everything I want to say and have to say and treat it the same as they would one of the other members in the group. So that's huge. Treating the youth like adults, I think is huge. And it's a game changer. It just makes you want to be there.
1: So I've uh, been reading a book on uh, industrial organizational psychology that uh, looks at various popular forms of transformative change, uh, like Sigma-6 and Lean Process. And uh, the commentary they give is that you can train people to, say, involve the voices of the people you serve, but the reality often becomes... You know, I'm going to tell you things, and then if you don't talk back, well, that was your chance. Uh, I, I guess Amit, do you, do you have any research on involving the voices of the people we serve, or actually doing it as opposed to saying you're doing it? Uh, uh, any recommendations on
2: that? So I uh, I shared with you the two clinical trials we did uh, with the same intervention. Uh, one was. Um, And the first study was um, everybody has to be participating in it. In the second study, we actually half of the intervention was designed by the participants. So we we had uh, half of the intervention ready and the rest have based on their feedback. What do you want to hear? We kept on crafting it. The, the outcome was through the roof. They came for science curriculum, but they found mindfulness and resilience as the most valuable part of their training in their science curriculum. And, and more than 95 percent of them thought this was one of the, the perhaps the most beneficial part of the curriculum. So... Uh, uh, you know, I'll share with you an anecdote, a small patient story uh, where this patient with advanced uh, cancer was using a bunch of supplements. So uh, I asked him, uh, you know, are these supplements helping you? He said, no, I don't think so. So then I asked, oh, okay, so then why are you taking them? He said, because that's all I can control at this point. So people love control. Multiple studies uh, in the UK have, uh, with 25 to 40,000 people have shown that having this sense of control, it not only improves your mood, it decreases your risk of cancer, it decreases your risk of heart disease and can enhance your longevity um there was one study that came out in annals i think where they compared oscar winners versus those who were nominated but didn't win it and oscar winners actually lived like five years more than those who were nominated and it was because they had more sense of control over their career after they had won the oscars
0: i think i find that really interesting that you mentioned that because uh it, that that concept of control and where we're at with that has been on my mind as yes, we get ready to open schools again this fall, and there's so much out of our control. Uh, from yes, well, certainly the pandemic, you know, there there is it, it's turned the tables on a lot of things that we do, and um, I know in my mind I'm listening carefully what you talk about in terms of engaging people and giving them. Agency by voice, you know, and, and li- really listening to them. Uh, it's going to be a. It's going to be another struggling year, I think, because we have uh, some real polar uh, viewpoints out there, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna get through it. And I think uh, I- I'm trying to uh, figure out how we'll message our 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 uh, opening of the school year with safety in mind but security and that they have a voice to be heard. And so I'm listening, we've got to get kids involved in that conversation so that uh, when we ask them to wear a mask, that it's that they understand why and that they actually had uh, a, a chance to at least express why it's a discomfort, but why they understand why it's important. You know, So I can see us doing some really good community building over that conversation, just like on that alone.
3: I was just gonna say to that point, Um, the person that my friends and I would listen to most would be another another senior in our class for something, for for a lot of things. Obviously we're at the stage where we know it's good to listen to our teachers and adults and we will. But at the same time, it's like the person who will hit the hardest would be one of my friends or one of the, the kids in my grade. And so I think with those polarizing views, getting a student to be the lead of the safety campaign or something or the student to be the one doing the announcements in the morning even a student who's very well known right um to to talk about homecoming but to also talk about wearing a mask so coupling that with with something that the students are familiar with is also really good and i can use that for i can use that um or i can bring an example to that point so This year, we started just for 11th grade that I just finished an an environmental club at our school. And it was started by three friends. And we were all kind of in a group. And these three friends put it together. Um, And all of a sudden, there's 25 of us in the club. I don't know how that happened. Uh, I think a good 10 of us knew nothing about the environment, didn't really have a strong interest. You know, the other 15 were super excited about it but there's 25 of us in this club and there's 40 of us in the Google classroom. And the reason that is, is because a group of three people who already knew each other, who were already close and had these connections just started something. And then they said, hey, the meeting's tonight, do you wanna come? And then everybody came and that's all it took. So even taking the voice of one student who you know has a strong impact on everybody else or who's you know relatively well-known or something like that is something that really changes things. Uh, because people just don't question it and they just follow and they they go behind that. So that's something that uh, I found in my personal life.
0: So they came without pizza or M&Ms?
3: Yeah, they came it. without anything. It was just one <laughs> friend and all of his friends and then two friends and all of her friends. and And then we were all there and now we've been there for a year. And projects are happening and ideation and we love the student the the advisor the teacher that's got to help too so a couple of those little things put together really makes a positive impact
2: i think a couple of thoughts i have one is uh, uh when you have to say no sandwich it with two yeses so a no should be preceded by a yes and then a no and then a yes i can't come for dinner today oh, I would love to come for dinner. Sorry, I can't come for dinner. Can we have breakfast tomorrow? So that becomes a much sandwiched no that works uh, much better. Uh, the second is uh, sometimes, you know, we, we, uh, if you do not have stress today, you, you probably are not homo sapiens. You know, you're probably some other species or Mr. Spock, who has no emotional center. You know, kids may not have heard of Mr. Spock. So, so there is nothing wrong with showing that you are struggling emotionally. And by the way, people who cry or show their tears actually have a better immune system so uh that's what studies show so uh, and i'm happy to send you a reference to that so so i think uh, as a leader uh, uh this is perhaps the most important line about relationships that we forget and that is people don't like you for who they are people like you for how they feel about themselves in your presence so when you make them feel worthy in your presence they will like you and they will listen to you. Uh, like Gauri was saying that um, uh, if she's going to a meeting with a bunch of high flyers and celebrities, they never give her an opportunity to speak or, or you know, share her opinion. She's gonna come out and say, "Oh, this is not where I'm gonna go." The key is to help people make uh, help people feel worthy in your you know you have to define things right like snow is the water i'm going to drink in the summer so it's a very different definition of snow so that's a survival tactic
4: i love that so much as well um we're we are we're getting kind of towards the end of our recording time so we're going to transition to what we like to call in the blink of three eyes so we're going to ask uh, three different questions, and we'd like to hear an answer from, from each Corey and Amit. Um, and I'll go ahead and start us off with the first question, if that's okay. Please share with us what podcast, book, show, or whatnot has been influencing your thinking lately.
3: So I've been listening to Anything Goes by Emma Chamberlain, which she's a very popular um, influencer on YouTube. I think she's 20, so it's very much catered to... Uh, my age group, and I love it. It's just kind of perspective on a lot of things that a lot of 16-year-olds are experiencing, 17-year-olds. So that's really fun. Uh, I've also been listening to some college admissions podcasts because that is the time it is right now for me. So, Um, and then a book I'm reading is called Scratched by Elizabeth Talent, and it's a memoir. Um, And I've just started it, but it's about perfectionism. So it's really cool to read her story um, through struggling with extreme perfectionism.
2: I'm I'm glad you said what not there too. So I'm actually learning from life, particularly learning from my dog Simba. Uh, I have never ever had a more mindful and uh, effective resilient teacher. He is always ready to play, whether it is 2 a.m. or 2 p.m., whether he's tired. He always welcomes us fabulously in his space when we show up. Whether I missed giving him food doesn't matter. Always playful, always pleasant, always present, always forgiving, always humble, always in the moment, not thinking about past or future a whole lot. And uh, so I'm, I'm really learning from him. What does it take to be like my pet Simba? The push to get Simba
3: I should mention was mine, but Simba's favorite is yeah. definitely my dad. He is just
2: obsessed with him. So. Yeah, he, he, he'll, he's, he's very gentle. He's, he's the perfect combination of someone who is gentle and playful at the same time.
0: Well, I'll take the next question. Um... We really value innovation. What is one innovation that you've seen recently or that you would really like to see?
3: So one thing I'm really excited about is this online academy that RPS is doing in our school district. Um, I think it's great because I know many students are very stressed out with going to in-person school and through distance learning found that they just like that format better. And the fact that RPS is putting resources towards creating a whole academy for that, I think is awesome. Um, I don't know, I, I, that's really all I have to say. I think it's just a great way to include everybody.
2: So, uh, uh, you know, we all, um, uh, we all love nutrition and exercise. Behavior change is difficult. Uh, I see the value of kindness and compassion in the world so what i would like to do is uh develop or see a, a natural food that can upregulate uh, our compassion genes so that you <laughs> you just take a compassion, breakfast in the morning, and all day long, you're kind to the whole world and to yourself. I would like to see that innovation. It's,
4: it's interesting to hear you say that, Amit, and you're probably aware of this, but there's a, a lot of research that shows that reading fiction grows empathy and compassion. And you talk about the importance of stories, which, you know, aligns right up with that. So until we can find that magical food, we'll just all read more books.
1: That is great. Uh, digest a good book. I, I like uh, that idea. So our, our last question. Listeners inspired by today's conversation may want to take action on their learning. What might that first action be?
3: Yeah, so in my, um, my perspective, the first action would be to apply everything in your home life, which is something I need to do more, I know. Um, but everything that you teach you hear and you learn uh especially all the cool research studies that my dad is talking about (laughs) i think using those using that knowledge in your in your home life is amazing using those with the people closest to you is the best way to do things immediately because even though we want to change the world (laughs) it's kind of hard to do right away um the other thing i'd say is uh education of educating everyone so my focus clearly is hugely in education I love education and I think I've been that way for a while now and so the biggest thing you can do is just to tell other people it's just to tell people even by word of mouth I mean every little thing makes a difference and then the last thing I'd say is just like I talked about that committee and other things like that um what I learned is that I only like to do the things that I like. <laughs> and it's hard because there's a lot of things you have to do that you don't like very much. But also you can find a balance. Like freshman year, I, I I threw myself into all these clubs and I really didn't like very many of them. And so now as I'm senior, I'm really excited about the fact that I get to choose. I get to do what I want to do. And it didn't really help me to do all of those clubs freshman year. So so in the simplest of terms, easing out of the replaceable things that you can do to, to improve your state of mind, I think is one thing that I'd take away from this.
2: So Gauri cheated and gave multiple uh, answers. I will stick to <laughs> one. And uh, so so basically, I think our collective... Uh, responsibility, all of us, every human being on the planet is to build a kinder, happier, more hopeful world for our planet's children. I personally feel like I have a billion uh, supervisors and my each supervisor is a child on the planet. So so if there's one thing I might suggest, and and it is that uh, before you uh, think, say, or do something, ask yourself, will it make the world a better place for our planet's children? If the answer is yes, then do it. If the answer is no, then uh, that's not something that you should be doing. When it comes to supporting your mind, uh, a few mantras that help me in particular are one, I ask myself when something bothers me, will it matter in five years? If not, it's not worth my time. Uh, so that is my focus on, uh, um, uh, how, on, on the kind of things that I let bother me. Number two is do not let someone who shouldn't be in the story of your life write the title of your story. Uh, We do that uh, many times. And three is remember the mantra, I am enough, I have enough. Uh, Whenever you feel uh, a fear of missing out, whenever you feel uh, the social media feed of somebody else is much more exciting than mine, then recognize this mantra and anchor in it that I am enough, I have enough.
4: I love this so much. It's a Thank you so much for giving us your time and spending time with us. And um, and yeah. Gori I'm just super proud of you yes. and, and glad to see you growing you. And, and learning and taking these leadership positions in the community and working with your dad. It's, it's just heartening to see. So thank you guys for spending this you are, time. Man.
0: You are both amazing. Oh. Thank you so much thank you. for being
2: part of this. Thank you. We, we are excited to collaborate partner in the coming months and years together. Thank you so much. Wonderful. Thank
1: you, thank you so much to Gori and Anasud for joining us today. Thank you to Mike Carolyn, Nick Truxell, and Heather Leich for hosting. And thank you, as always, to Dover Eota Public Schools for supporting our podcast. Thank you to Mike Terrell for writing our theme song. Make sure you join us next time for a conversation with Craig Kemp, uh, who is an ed tech guru. And future episodes with Joyce Scott-Ressler, who is an educational editor. We look forward to having you back then on Third Eye.